Romans 3, 1 through 20. Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you'll be proved right in what you say. You will win your case in court. But some might say, our sinfulness serves a good purpose for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But, some might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by saying, by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery will follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Amen. Thank you, Jen. Let's, uh, let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, it is an absolute privilege to step into your presence. Lord, we come so unworthily, we come so, I hope, so aware of how desperately needy we are of a Savior. But you, Lord, have chosen to save us. Jesus, you are the solution. You are the answer to all of our problems, our needs, our concerns. And I, I pray this morning as we open your word, as we look into scripture, that, that you would reveal to us the, the real condition of our hearts and, and realize that you, Lord, are the only answer. So, Father, as we, as we take time now to look at your word and reflect and think and pray, Holy Spirit, would you be much at work in this place? As I, as I speak words, as, as, as we listen to words, may we hear your voice. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How is everybody today? Trunk or treat tonight? 
Don't go to the fall fest, come to Trunk or Treat. Um, uh, keep in mind that there's uh, fires still burning. I was just talking to some people at the, uh, at the beginning and their relatives are right in the path of the fire up north. It's coming and, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's tough times, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, right? Well, we are continuing in uh, Romans, continuing our series in Romans. We're working our way through. We're in, we're in chapter 3 today, so turn to Romans chapter 3. If you need a Bible, the ushers have Bibles. They'll, they'll pass them out. Raise your hand. If you want a Bible, keep it. If you don't have one, uh, if you just need to use it, you can turn it back in, but feel free to take it with you. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, as we were opening up this series on Romans, Todd talked about the pine beetles that have destroyed trees from the inside out. Remember that? Those pine beetles that are just ravaging trees? Well, um, I'm more familiar with Alaska. Alaska has a version of the same thing. We call it spruce bark beetles. In the same way that these tiny little beetles burrow into trees and kill them, and that, it's not a great picture, but you can see there's just dead trees standing among the living trees. In the same way that these these beetles burrow into trees and kill them. Sin has burrowed into humanity. Sin has burrowed into all creation. It's burrowed into every one of us such that we are dead. We are, we are rotten from the inside out and we're slaves to sin. And that's Paul's big theme in these first three chapters of uh, Romans, uh, summarized in our text today that we'll look at in a little bit that Jen just read. Uh, verse, verse 10 of chapter 3, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And the next week, we're going to see the classic Romans 3.23 text, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, what Paul is doing in these chapters is explaining to the Jews that in spite of their privileged position as God's chosen people, they're just as much in need of heart transformation as everyone else, as the Gentiles. Their hearts need change from the inside out because they have the same sin issue. Sin has burrowed into their hearts just like Gentiles. But they were boasting in their privileged place as Jews. They were, they were boasting in the covenant sign of circumcision as if, as if those external things could save them. Paul is making it abundantly clear through these early chapters that their hearts have to be changed. It doesn't matter what the outside looks like. It doesn't matter what, what laws you adhere to. Your hearts need to be transformed. Uh, as we finished up, as Terry finished up last week, we looked at the last two verses of chapter 2. And, and look at these verses. It, for, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Now, this would have flied in the float, flown, flying, flied, in the face of, uh, yeah, whatever, you know what I mean. Uh, in the face of what the Jews believed, because it was all outward and physical. Verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit not by the letter. So what Paul is saying here is to be God's chosen people, to be his people, means an internal heart change, not an external physical sign or an ethnicity or following a certain law. Now, as far as we know from what Todd taught earlier on, over in chapter 16, we read about this lady, Phoebe, 
and she probably or quite possibly delivered the letter to the church at Rome, and she is possibly reading it to the gathered church as they, as they, as they gather there. Now imagine her stopping after verse 29. She just reads this, A Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And I can just, I can just see Phoebe stopping and all the Jews in the room start to murmur. They're like, what? What? Wait, wait a minute. What about us? What about, what about us Jews? I thought we were God's chosen people. Being an ethnic Jew doesn't matter anymore. What in the world is circumcision of the heart? And I could just see him looking around and, and being a little bit frustrated and flustered with, with what Paul has written in this letter. And of course, Paul knows that question's coming. So he jumps right into it in chapter 3 and verse 1. As they, as they are questioning this, he says, Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? And I could just see him go, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. That's our question. Circumcision was the defining sign of being a Jew. It was the defining sign of being part of God's chosen covenant people. But Paul is saying that the external sign no longer matters if the heart is not transformed. They've lost their advantage, or seemingly so, and are asking a great question in verse 1. So what advantage do we have? Now, let me, let me briefly explain this word advantage. We're going to use it a lot this morning. The Greek word behind our English word advantage means having more than usual or more than sufficient. So when Paul asks, what advantage has the Jew? He is asking, what extra benefits do the Jews have in their standing before God? What, what do they have, what do the Jews have that is more than the ordinary amount of what people have? Now, they, they do have some advantages, and Paul's going to spell those out. But when it comes to sin, when it comes to the, the need of our heart, when it comes to salvation, none of their advantages help them in any way. But they were so proud of their advantages. They were so proud of the extra that they had. They were so proud of being God's called, chosen, covenant people that they missed the need for heart transformation. Paul is writing to explain that all have sinned. Jew and Gentile, everyone, and are in need of a Savior who is the Messiah. Now let's think about us for a minute. As I've been studying this and preparing for this morning, I've been asking myself uh, a lot about this. How and my question to myself, and I've worded it and couched it different ways, how, how have I wrongly or pridefully trusted in the advantages that God has given me? Have I somehow softened how sinful and needy I am because I grew up in a Christian home? Because I went to seminary? Because I live in America, because of these advantages that I have in my spiritual walk, have I, have I somehow trusted in those things in a false way? In other words, and I can put it this way, how have I trusted wrongly in my advantages, thinking that they will help me in some way overcome the sinfulness that's inside of me? That's the question I want us to look at this morning. Let me try to illustrate this. It would be like taking one of those uh, beetle kill trees that's dead, 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 dead. 
rotten on the inside. And we, we wrap new bark around it and tie it on. And we say, there, it's good as new. Or, or imagine that I were filled with cancer. Cancer has, has invaded my entire body. And so, uh, because I'm rich, which I'm not, but because I'm rich, just go with me on this, um, I put on an expensive Italian suit with a crisp white shirt and an expensive silk tie, and I say, look, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me now because I can wear this expensive suit. I've taken my advantages to deal with the cancer that's, that's tearing me up inside. Does that make sense? No, I mean, does it make sense to do that? You understand the point. But it doesn't make sense to do that. Thank you. I've, I've struggled with this, this these last several weeks. I've struggled with how, how do I understand this? How do I grasp that? And I've prayed, and a lot of people have prayed, that we, we understand how we, we are guilty of this, of this concern. Because Paul, this is a hard text. Paul is telling us how absolutely, totally, completely sinful every single person is. Jew and Gentile alike. And we all need outside help. Now, that's not anything we really like to hear. Because we are very self-sufficient people. But we need outside help to deal with this. We can't just put on an expensive suit and everything is fine. We need a savior. We need someone to come in from the outside and, and heal us and restore us. And we need to understand that no one has any advantage over anyone else. So we really need to search our hearts this morning and think about and pray about how have we been trusting in the wrong things? And I want you to ask, start asking yourself that question. At the end of the service today, we're going to take some time to reflect and pray and if appropriate, confess how we have trusted these things wrongly. Now, what are the advantages the Jews had? And what advantages do we have? Let's, let's take a look at this. Look at verses 1 through 4. Then what, is the, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Verse 2, Paul says, much in every way. There, there's a lot of advantages. To begin with, and it's funny, Paul says to begin with and never gave us any further until chapter 9. But, but that's just Paul. So he says, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were given God's word. They were given the Torah. They were given the Pentateuch. They were given the Old Testament. Verse 3, what if some were unfaithful, as the Jews were? And we know that from reading Scripture. The Jews were very unfaithful with what they were given. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. And this is the strong Greek negative. No way does our faithlessness nullify or make ineffective God's faithfulness. Let God be true, though every one were a liar, as it is written, and now Paul quotes Psalm 51, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. That Psalm 51 is where David's confessing his sin of adultery, and, and it's as if Paul is saying here, just like David said, God's right, I'm a sinner. I am faithless with what advantages that God has given. So the Jews had a lot of advantage. They were given the oracles of God. They were the recipients of the Old Testament. The Old Testament law is a, is a description of God's intended established order for the world. This is the way it's supposed to be. The, the Jews had God's will and purpose written down for them. 
They were incredibly blessed beyond all other nations for the purpose of being a blessing to the rest of the world. God revealed himself and his truth to them so they could go reveal it to the rest of the world. That's what, that's what the whole point of it was. And they were faithless with it in that they began to hoard it. And they, they became proud and, and, and just kept it all inside. Now, think for a minute about, the, about all the advantages that we have. And think, think of the advantage we ha- we, advantages we have in terms of, of spiritual life or in, in terms of your walk with Christ or in terms of faith. First of all, we live in America. Now, I know that's a mixed bag. But compare living here to living in a place where the gospel has not touched. Compare us living here with the unreached people of the world. We've had the gospel here in our country for hundreds of years. That's an advantage. It's easy for us to hear the gospel. We are sitting on soft chairs in an air-conditioned building with more Bibles than we know what to do with. And as much as I hate to say it, it's almost like throwaway Bibles. We have very little fear of any interruption in in our worship service and our time of teaching and preaching the Word. We have access to all the podcasts you want. All you have to do wherever you are is pull out your phone and you can hear good preaching, good theology, good sermons, good classes, and some bad ones too. But we have all that. We have theology. We have a Bible college next door. We don't just have the Old Testament, but now we have the New Testament. We have more revelation than the Jews had. Those are advantages that we have in our faith walk. So I was thinking about myself. I was thinking about my advantages. I grew up, personally, I grew up in a Christian home with two loving parents that never got divorced or never even considered it. I went to a Christian high school where I had Bible classes every day. I went to a Bible college where I had Bible classes every day. I went to a seminary where I had Bible classes every day. What what an advantage in my faith. My wife Dawn, as far back as she can go in her family tree, and we've gone back quite a ways, every single person that we know of was a believer. What a heritage! One of her ancestors was instrumental in starting a foreign mission society. Those are advantages. That's a heritage that we have that's been passed down to us, that's been given to us. The Jews had these tremendous advantages. But look look what they did. Verse 3. What if some were unfaithful? What if some were unfaithful? They selfishly hoarded their advantages and used them to clobber other people instead of blessing other people. They were to display God's goodness to the world around them, but they neglected that aspect of their advantage. They missed the need for heart transformation. They, they, they staked their salvation, if you were, on the fact that they were Jews and they became prideful. And I just love, I love the message of this verse here. Even when they were unfaithful, and even when we are unfaithful, and we are, 
Even when we trust our advantages and even when we neglect our advantages, God is still utterly and completely faithful. Never forget that. It's unthinkable that God's faithfulness is rendered ineffective by our unbelief. God is true and His way of salvation is the only one and we can depend on it, count on it, because He is faithful. But the Jews missed the fact of how pervasive sin really is. Sin is not, sin is not what we do, it's who we are. Big distinction. We are totally enslaved to sin and nothing in ourselves can save us. And that takes us to what I've often called the deep view of sin. I probably read it somewhere, so I don't know that it's new with me. But the deep view of sin. And by that I mean sin is not just these bad things that we do, but it's in our very nature. Our motives are tainted by sin. Our actions are tainted by sin. Our desires are tainted by sin. Our thoughts are tainted by sin. And that's why we need Jesus to change us. Because nothing externally, we can't put on a suit of clothes and say, look, I'm fine. It's, it's all the way through us. It's like cancer that's riddled the body. It's like, it's like a tree that is dead from the inside out. Look at verse 9. What then? Paul says. Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Okay, so now Paul says the Jews don't have an advantage. At least no advantage in dealing with the sinfulness of their hearts. In verse 1, he says, yes, there's advantages. Look at what you have been given. In verse 9, he says, but they won't do a bit of good to solve the issue of sin in your life. You need a heart transformation, not an external physical sign or a suit of clothes to cover up. How, how sinful you are. <laughs> a friend of mine told me a story. Uh, he was having a conversation with a Jewish man, and they were discussing Passover, and this, uh, this Jewish man looked at my friend, and he goes, you know, the thing I don't understand about you Christians is why you think you're the only ones going to heaven. And then he went on, but, but that's okay, I'm fine because I'm a Jew. Like, Whoa. This is modern day. This isn't 2,000 years ago. He was counting on his ethnic and cultural heritage. He was counting on the advantages of simply being a Jew to save his soul, to deal with sin, and get him to heaven. So, so I started to think, how many people are ethnic Christians? I did coin that term, so give me credit. How many people are ethnic Christians? How many people are cultural Christians? I think there's some in this room right here, right now. I think I'm guilty of this at times. We are counting on our advantages to save us. Missing the fact that none of those things will solve the sin issue. An ethnic Christian might think, I go to church all the time, I'm fine. An ethnic Christian might say, you know what? When I was eight at this club, I asked Jesus in my heart, so I, I'm good. I'm covered. Or, or maybe they'd say, I live in America. America is a, a Christian nation, so I'm a Christian. My, my parents were Christians, so I must be a Christian. 
I went to Bible college, so of course I'm a Christian. For goodness sakes, I was baptized at Cornerstone Church, so clearly I'm a Christian and I'm fine. (laughs) Nothing wrong with being baptized at Cornerstone Church. And nothing wrong with any of those things I just listed. But none of those things will change your heart. None of those things will take the sin issue away. This is such a critical point. Please listen. If these advantages or others like that are all you are trusting in, then you are still under the curse of sin. You're just as lost as the serial killer. Because only Jesus can change our hearts, not a cultural ethnic identity as a Christian, not church attendance, not baptism, not saying a prayer unless your heart was genuinely in faith responding to Jesus, but just uttering a prayer. I know many people that uttered prayers, and they are not believers today. The issue is to repent and believe in Jesus alone to save us. Verse 20, he says, For by works of the law, by all these external things, by all these advantages, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I don't care how much Bible you know. I don't care if you're a Jew or a Catholic or a Methodist or a Baptist. I don't care if you went to a Christian high school. I don't don't care if you come to church every week or twice a week. I don't care if you volunteer for all kinds of ministry. I don't care if you go to the Rock and all of its activities and retreats. None of these advantages will change your heart from the inside. And without that heart change, we are lost. We are enslaved to sin. We are helpless. We are hopeless. We cannot depend on those outward external things. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit, by faith, believing in Him alone, to transform us from the inside. Let me try to illustrate this again. Let's say I wanted to become a great musician, like Billy. So I buy a guitar, and I get a really cool strap, and I put on skinny jeans, And I wear a hat, and I stand up here and start to play. I guarantee it would not be a happy experience. Because the external accoutrements of being a great musician don't make me a great musician. It's internal. And if I have that internal skill and ability as a musician, I can wear anything I want, and it won't matter. I could wear a tux. I could wear a swimming suit. I could wear, it it doesn't matter because the skill is inside. So I hate to burst your bubble, but skinny jeans do not make a great musician. In the same way, I don't become a master carpenter by putting on a tool belt and holding a hammer. That skill, that ability, comes from inside the person through, through their experience and through their transformation of being clumsy to being skilled. You could be a master carpenter and wear, wear a tux. In Hollywood, they call this acting. In the church, we call it hypocrisy. Pretending to be something you really aren't. 
Because if you're acting like, dressing like, talking like, looking like a Christian, but your heart is untransformed by the Holy Spirit, that's what Terry was talking about last week, that's hypocrisy. The heart is the issue. Our hearts are sinful. We cannot change our hearts. All of our efforts, all of our external energies, all of our activities, all of the things we do, obeying the law, following the law, reading the law, it can never change or transform us. Now, now, just in case the Jews listening to Phoebe read this were saying, well, yeah, that doesn't really apply to me. Or, or just in case some of us are sitting here this morning thinking, well, that doesn't really apply to me. Paul puts together a collection of Old Testament verses to prove how utterly sinful we are. Verses 10 through 18. Uh, Jen just read it. I'm going to have us read it again. But he quotes from at least six different Old Testament passages one of his longest quotes from the Old Testament in his writings. And this is a powerful, sobering statement on the condition of every single one of us. Now, what I've done here, it's on the screen. Uh, read it from the screen because I changed all the third-person pronouns to first-person pronouns. And I want us to read it together because when you start using first-person pronouns reading this, it's a little yucky. All right, you ready? Verse 10. None of us are righteous, not even one. None of us are truly wise. None of us are seeking God. All of us have turned away. All of us have become useless. None of us does good. Not a single one of us. Our talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Our tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from our lips. Our mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. We rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow us. We don't know where to find peace. We have no fear of God at all. Yuck. We are in a world of hurt. Every single one of us, apart from the Jesus work in our lives, this is us. And so something has got to happen that I myself cannot cause to happen. And the next section of Romans, where we'll be next week, reveals this so beautifully. There is hope. This is a downer, but there is hope. Now, Phoebe wouldn't have stopped at verse 20 and, and told the church, now y'all come back next week, like I'm going to do right now. Um, she would have kept reading, she would have kept right on reading into verse 21 where, where Paul explains that Jesus gives us his rightness, his righteousness, apart from the law, apart from our advantages. It's all of him, and we claim it by faith alone. I've got to jump ahead a little bit. Todd's, Todd's preaching next week, and, and I told him, I'm going to steal some of your thunder. It's whatever. It's all of Jesus, it's faith alone. It's grace alone. We are accepted in him because there is nothing in us. What we just read, that's what we are like. We are all equally in sin, but the solution is equally available to everyone. Jesus can change us from the inside out. He can remove the cancer of sin regardless of what clothes I wear. He can restore the inside of a dead spruce tree. I don't care who you are or what advantages you have or what you do, advantages you don't have. Jesus' love extends to every single person. 
We just need to repent of our sin, believe in Jesus alone as the solution. Now I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. Um, we're, going to, we're going to have a time now of, of searching our hearts. I want us to think about how we have wrongly depended on our advantages. Maybe we've not truly repented of the sin that's deep within. Maybe we haven't come to Jesus alone to change our hearts, but we're depending on something else. Maybe we think we're okay because we go to church or because we're a Jew or because we're Catholic or whatever it is. So what we've been doing, you probably have noticed if you come to church regularly and if you stay awake through the service, you've probably noticed that we've been trying to introduce different elements into our worship service that touch not just the mind, but, but our emotions and our desires and our actions. We need to learn to express with our bodies what's going on in our hearts. And I don't think a lot of us are very good at doing that. So what we're going to do now, if you're able and if you're so inclined, I invite you to kneel during this time of reflection and confession. We move the chairs to make more space so it's easier to do that. Now, of course, we know we can pray and God hears us no matter our position, but different postures can express different attitudes of our heart. Kneeling can express humility, it can express humbling ourselves before God, like, like kneeling before the king and submitting ourselves to him. Psalm 95, 6 says we should kneel before the Lord in worship. Kneeling can also express an earnest appeal. When Jesus went into the garden to pray the night before he was crucified, he knelt down and prayed as he beseeched his Father. So again, as the music plays quietly, if you're able to kneel, do it. And confess those ways that we've looked to other things besides Jesus alone. Settle in, for, settle in for several minutes here. No hurry. Wait for him. Worship for him. And you can use these questions on the screen as, as a guide to your time. So let's do that just now. So our text today was very much about sin and about repenting of and confessing those things that we depend on that aren't Jesus alone. So it's appropriate to kneel in humility and in submission to our King. Next week, we're going to see the righteousness of Jesus that is given to us all. And we're going to, we're going to sing and dance and shout, I don't know, um, and express joy. I know this is artificial. Again, Phoebe would have just kept right on reading it. And, and their emotions would have been up and down as they heard all this, but we have to wait a whole week. Unless you want to go home and read 21 to 26 this afternoon. So in the name of the Father, before whom we kneel in submission, in the name of the Son, who is the solution, the only solution to this problem of sin, in the name of the Holy Spirit, who empowers us, convicts us, and enables to live this way. Go this week and live in the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.